Welcome, everybody, to the Amplify Long-Term Care Podcast. This is your host, Francis Nahas. I am thrilled to be here today with Trent Thede. Trent, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself? Yeah, uh, Trent Thede, um, president of Pass National, the Pharmacy Audit Assistance Service. Um, been in pharmacy for a long time, 24 years now, started in, in 99. So a, a great breadth of, of experience in, in community pharmacy and, and long-term care pharmacy as well. Fantastic. So how'd you get into pharmacy? You know, my dad uh, probably was the the driving influence. Um, I was really good at chemistry and math in high school. And he, although not having any ties to the, to the pharmacy profession, thought it was a great uh, profession and really wanted someone that he knew to be a pharmacist. <laughs> and so he had a huge influence for me. I remember he used to clip out Newsline articles and put it on my bedroom door when I was in high school. And uh, I wanted to do business or, or maybe law school at first. And um, he wrote on uh, on one of the articles, you know, an MBA won't make this kind of money out of school <laughs> and, and things like that. And he just had a big influence on me. I, I started to work at a pharmacy in high school. So wow. I'm originally from Green Bay and, and Shopco, uh, which was a, a community chain in the area, was headquartered out of Green Bay. And so I started to work there in high school, and I worked in downtown Green Bay. Green Bay is a smaller city, 100,000 yep. people, but um, it was a heavy Medicaid population at the pharmacy I worked at. And at the time, there was a significant pharmacist shortage. So what I found was they had young pharmacists just out of school working there, yeah. and they knew how to have fun. They, they worked hard, but they were great. They communicated well, and I really enjoyed working in that environment, learning from them, and really developed a passion for the profession and said, yeah, this is something I could totally see myself getting into and doing. And um, that's what kind of led me on that path to stay stay with uh, pharmacy. That's fantastic. So you're still in Wisconsin today, right? I am, yes. Have yep. you always been in the Wisconsin area? How have you, where have you worked? Yeah. So I've, I've primarily, the vast majority of my life, we moved to South Carolina for a little while. Oh, wow. I lived in yeah. Lexington from the time I was about two to first grade. So my mom would tell you I had a cute Southern draw and I would always say, <laughs> yes, ma'am. I had white hair because I was always outside and I was super tan. Um, we were the only family, and my mom tells me the story, we were the only family in town that when it snowed one time, we could go sledding because we had all the sleds and everything the else. Yeah. <laughs> So I lived there just for uh, five, about five years. Then we moved back um, to Green Bay thereafter. So I've always been in Green Bay. Went to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, and stayed there. So did undergrad there, did pharmacy school there. Um, it came back to Green Bay for a little while, but always been in Wisconsinite at heart. Yeah, fantastic pharmacy school. I've worked with a lot of the folks there at uh, University of Wisconsin. They're awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So you like the cold, though. You, di you didn't get, like, sucked into the warm of the South. <laughs> no, I, I do like warm weather, but I love the change of the seasons. Yeah. I love seeing the seasons. I love seeing the fall. Um, I don't – you can get sick of the snow in, like, March. and yeah. um, But you learn how to, to deal with it and um, come up with other ways to enjoy it. And um, we have young kids, so they're always outside playing and making snow forts and sledding and things like yeah. that. So. It's when good. it's 99 degrees in September as a Texan, there are times that I do miss <laughs> that I do miss the seasons. Not so much when it's snowing in February, but you know, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. So, how do you end up in long-term care pharmacy? 
Yeah, so I was working for, I started at Shopco. I interned for, I worked for them throughout almost 15 years in total from the time I started in high school. I interned for them. When I graduated, there was still a shortage. It was 2006. So still a shortage of pharmacists. I became a pharmacy manager right out of school because I knew I, I liked the business side of things. I took all my electives in pharmacy school at the business school that they would allow me to do. So um, I, I knew I wanted to manage. I, I became a manager of a community pharmacy in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, just south of Green Bay for a while. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I became a regional. And so I was a regional on the community side, overseeing 35 stores in southern Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa. And I did that for just over five and a half years. And then Shopco bought some long-term care pharmacies. And they actually just acquired two, one in Appleton, Wisconsin, and one in Madison. So I was located in Madison. So I was kind of overseeing that one for a little bit. Um, They had established a director um, and it wasn't going well. And they they weren't really sure. They were kind of dabbling in long-term care, didn't really understand it very well. Um, and they asked me if I would take over the division. So in, in 2012, um, I took over the long-term care division. We had two, we were opening up a third location in Eau Claire, Western Wisconsin. And it was really to clean it up, um, see what we could do with it. And eventually, um, Shopco ended up selling that they were divesting of the long-term care space. So they were really only in it for about four or five years in, in total, um, they were owned by private equity at the time. They saw it as yeah. an investment. Then it didn't really fit into their strategy, so they divested it. And I became, um, I went with that that acquisition to a company called um, Health Direct or, or KPH Healthcare based out of upstate New York. So okay. I was kind of the transient located. But yeah. really it's because this regional retailer um, dived into to long-term yeah. care. And I knew nothing about long-term care. I, I was solely, I had spent all my career in community pharmacy um, I really enjoyed that, enjoyed supervising it. It was just a new challenge and a new opportunity to really learn this space and understand all the intricacies of, of LTC. So, yeah. so I jumped at the opportunity. So as somebody who spent time on on both sides, right, the the real community and, and kind of deep long-term care, what were some of the things that surprised you when you first started looking at long-term care? You know, one of the most important things for a for a long term care pharmacy, and I I tell this to anybody, is the relationships you have with the facilities, mm-hmm. which kind of make or break a long term care pharmacy. Community pharmacy, independent community pharmacy, is deeply ingrained within their community, and they're very involved. Uh, they're very well known. With long term care, your footprint is vastly expanded. You can deliver three, four hours away, so you don't always get that immediate community feel. So really the relationships with your nursing home administrators, your DONs, um, is a big deal because you're often communicating. There are always challenges in long-term care. And so uh, one of the the biggest surprises, I guess, at first, it was it's those relationships. Developing those relationships are are what can help make a long-term care pharmacy very successful right from right from the start. Fantastic. And what what were some of the things you needed to do to kind of improve it? You said in the beginning, right, it wasn't performing really well. So what were some of the steps you took to drive yeah. that improved performance? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. There were there were several things that we did. We um, one of the things that that we had learned was the software platform we were using. We were kind of um, self taught. We weren't using it to its fullest capabilities. Yep. We didn't really know how to use it effectively, and so we brought in um, a team of of experts from the vendor to help us train yep. and educate us and tell us what we were doing wrong, what we were doing right to gain efficiencies within the system. 
we were kind of, we were actually a 24 hour pharmacy. We were running three shifts because wow. we just yeah. were so, um, and it wasn't necessary. It's just, we were inefficient. We had yeah. just um, come into, this was 2012 with short cycle dispensing. So we had bought automation and that was a huge mess for us because we went into strip packaging and our facilities did not want strip packaging. So we had oh. bought and invested in automation. And this is as I'm coming into it. Right. Uh, right. The automation's there. We have to figure out how to use it and adapt to it. And we did not do an effective job at selling our facilities on why strip packaging is a great solution for them over the current bingo card type yeah. format. So we really struggled. We actually reverted uh, most of our business off of strip packaging over the course of the next year because it just wasn't working for our facilities. And if it doesn't work for our facilities, um, it doesn't it work doesn't for the work. pharmacy right. yeah. because <laughs> the business is going to go elsewhere. They're going to find what they want. And so we spent um, a ton of time trying to digest the automation, then get rid of the automation and, and move it somewhere else and, and work through all those facets. So um, that was a, a huge challenge for us. The other thing that we did is uh, we we jokingly called it the, the Trentini tour. I went out with our sales rep, our customer service rep, and we went and visited and talked to the facilities that we're currently working with and said, hey, we know we have problems right now. We're working to clean these up. Give us an opportunity. We'll show you what we can do. And, and we're investing in making things right. We had to bring in more personnel at a time. We actually had to run further into the red to right. make things right before we could kind of right-size the ship and gain all these efficiencies. So um, developing those that rapport and those relationships yep. and putting being able to put a face to the name and making sure that I was accessible um, to help them, the facility, with whatever they needed if they had a problem. And we ran more stat runs. We did a lot of things from a service standpoint while we were struggling to make sure that we could retain the business and then eventually make it more efficient and more profitable. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's super interesting. It's a couple themes um, I love that I pull out of that. And the first one is just customer first, right? It's there's a you you are there to deliver for them. And so if you don't know what they need and want, that's really hard to do. Yes, um, absolutely. And two, I think as a as a technology company, um, two things there, which is the the balance of the technology needs to serve you. And also, hey, a lot of times those companies, they see a lot of pharmacies, they see a lot of operations, right? They know the best practices if you're willing to go kind of talk with them and actually go through the change management of of learning other ways to do it and finding the one that's optimal. So great, yeah. great lesson there. Yeah, absolutely. And we had the opportunity as well when I, when I first came on board to visit um, another pharmacy mm -hmm. and really learn from them. We went out of state. We, we partnered with our GPO who connected us with another pharmacy out of state that they yeah. knew was very lean operation that knew how to do things. And they really taught us a lot about how to, to get up and running and, and utilize efficiencies uh, within our own system. So yeah. that was extremely helpful as well. It's, it's very funny working in healthcare. I feel like for a long time, we I worked with hospital pharmacies and it was always, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital. And same thing in kind of the retail yes. space. If you've seen one pharmacy, you've seen one pharmacy. And a lot of times it's frustrating when you've actually seen thousands of them and you're like, you know, there are good ways, you know, we, we can learn from each other, right? There are sort of best practices that everyone can do. They're absolutely, even when I had 35 community pharmacies, yep. they all ran a little bit yep. differently and we were not cookie cutter and, and you take best practices and you learn and you come, come up with centers of excellence and who does the, the, right. the, the most right things the right way. And, um, you try and learn from each other. Absolutely. It's an evolving uh, process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a balance, right? You, you don't want to become, and I won't pick on them too much, the 
the giant cookie cutter chains that just don't have the flexibility to to really meet the community needs um, across the broad spectrum. But at the same time, right, they're they're standardized things that you can do that that drive efficiency. Absolutely. You can't you can't lose the the competitive advantage to pivot and meet right. local market trends and needs um, and, and needs of your facility that yeah. are local. Uh, that's an advantage of smaller long-term care pharmacies as they can do things that the big chains won't do or, or choose not to do. So. Yeah. so tell me about PASS. Yeah. So PASS, we've been in business actually for 30 years now, 30 years this year, um, helping primarily community and independent and long-term care pharmacies in their dealings with PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers, kind their of their favorite our thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So years ago, we used to do a little bit more with contracting because contracts used to be a page, two yeah. pages long, and we can right. help provide feedback and support. Um, that has kind of fallen. We still provide a little bit of guidance there, but more so, we focus a lot of our time on fighting um, audits and helping with predatory audits, guiding pharmacies from the audit process end to end. Um, and really providing them with a lot of proactive guidance. We don't want to just get reactive when they have an audit. Let's help yeah. you navigate through it. We really want to be proactive and tell them, hey, here's what things um, pharmacies are getting audited on. Here's what mistakes people are making. Don't do not do these things. Learn yeah. from others who have to pay uh, in order to do the right thing. So there's a lot of our efforts when we do audit assistance um, is trying to do a proactive standpoint and educate the the necessary things while also helping pharmacies process. We work with more than 5,000 pharmacies across the U.S. So we have members in all 50 states in Puerto Rico. We have myself as a pharmacist and, and four other pharmacists on staff um, and a host of technicians that all day long we're reviewing audits. We see about 1,000 audits a month. So wow. all of that is um, built and we learn from each audit. We, we do data analytics and gather intel to help educate and provide assistance to pharmacies of all kinds to navigate those processes, what, whatever kind of audit it might be, whether it's on-site or desk or things like that. Yeah. So that was our core service that in past came from that. In 2009, uh, we added uh, fraud, waste, and abuse. We saw the regulatory burden that CMS was placing on Part D plan sponsors, which then rolled down to first-tier downstream and related entities being pharmacies. So we built a fraud, waste, and abuse program that helps pharmacies be compliant, not just with training, but actually uh, uh, policies and procedures to prevent, detect, and report FWA. So we have a program that helps guide pharmacies through that. They answer questions about their pharmacy. Um, and we often write articles and educate people on what kinds of things happen in the environment, what to do, what not to do, what to be aware of. So really, we have two kind of core service offerings um, that we do. So picking on the audit one first, what are some of the yeah. things you see most commonly that you would tell long-term care pharmacy today, hey, you ought to be paying attention to this if you're not already? Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing. When I first came to pass, there was an inside joke that it's like long-term care is different because it is so different. And really, a lot of our staff here did not have never had the experience yeah. of working in a pharmacy to truly understand and appreciate what is it? mean to be in a long-term right. care pharmacy. And so LTC is different. It's very different than community pharmacy. It's very different than what a lot of patients come to expect when they think of a pharmacy and walking in to get a refill. Yeah. And so um, there are a couple of components that LTC pharmacies face uh, when they get audited because auditors often also 
struggle with those same right. challenges. <laughs> they don't understand the space. They don't understand LTC orders. And so they're very lost uh, yeah. when it comes to that. And that can be to the detriment of the long-term care pharmacy because they're used to auditing, let's say, community pharmacies. And then they audit an LTC pharmacy and it doesn't fit round, you know, uh, round right. their checklist. Right. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't fit. And so so then they're going to market discrepant or flag it for potential recoupment. And so when I think about LTC audits, I, I think there are three things that pharmacies um, primarily um, struggle with or think about um, that I would I would caution them about. And the first one is thinking about just orders in general. Because the, these prescriptions often, while they may be an ERX or an electronic prescription uh, and look like a retail order, often they may be a chart order or something else when you're working with skilled facilities. And PBMs will traditionally, even with a chart order, look for a quantity or duration. And yeah. chart orders, almost by definition, don't have Don't have either elements. of those things, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... So that's the first challenge. So it's not that you can't have a chart order, but often then you have to have additional documentation to support that chart order. So you've got chart order, let's say you get it in October, and then they're auditing for a data fill in January. And so what often might have to happen is the pharmacy needs to obtain the MAR or some other cooperating documentation to show, yes, this was still in effect. This order wasn't DC'd from the October uh, physician order sheet or, or um, chart order. And so I, I now have to get a record of the MAR or something else. Yeah. And so it's additional and depending on the pharmacy, do they have um, connectivity? Do they have access yeah. to the MAR? Do they need to rely on the facility? Is it a paper MAR um, right. still right. in today's age? And even are you still working with that facility? So if you have churn or you're turning over facility, how easy is it for you to ask them a year later for a record of a MAR when you're getting audited? How, how likely are they to be cooperative with you? Right, right. And so those are some elements. So the hard copy is a big thing when I, I think about one of the first components I would worry about or think about and, and what does it look like and the type of facility. Um, you know, there's a lot of different state regulation. So we're in all 50 states and, and yeah. all 50 states regulate long-term care differently, what they require from assisted living and how do they categorize assisted living. Here in Wisconsin, we have two terms called um, CBRFs and RCACs. And if you say that outside of Wisconsin, they don't, they don't know what I know. I was like, I have no about. idea what you just said. Yeah. And so <laughs> the community-based retirement facilities, CBRF, and yeah. RCAC, residential care apartment complex. Those are like our, our ALFs. Uh, and we have adult family homes and, and other yeah. things, but yeah. they're very unique. So it's very state specific. So what does the state allow you to do within um, dispensing? And, and do they call it out? A lot of states are vague. It's been an evolving um, continuum of care over time that skilled nursing facilities are being asked to do more what hospitals used to do. And assisted livings are asked to take higher acuity patients and keep them out of skilled nursing facilities. And and so the practice has kind of evolved over time. And sometimes state laws and regulations lag what's actually happening out in practice. And so um, they, what does your state allow you to do is often important when it comes to an audit as well and defending against an auditor who doesn't think this order is valid or this right. patient really should have, uh, have had that. So first thing is the hard copy. The second thing um, that's different about LTC pharmacy with audits is signature logs. So in community pharmacy, of course, the patient presents, they'll sign, or if you're yeah. delivering, they'll, they may come to the door if you're doing that, or if you're mailing, there's some components there. But with signature logs, you're often delivering to a facility, of course. And so 
um, depending on the time of day or typically time of night, if you're yeah. running a nightly yeah. run, um, I had some orders that would get at the facility at midnight or one, one o'clock in the morning and you have one person or hopefully somebody answers the door to let you in to, to sign for the drugs. But signature logs, uh, not only having a facility address and some of the basic components needs to be signed. During COVID, we had this waiver, right? During the public yeah. health emergency, you didn't have to have a signature. The PBMs had waivers in place. But now that we're since May 11th of right. this year, we're outside the public health emergency. Signatures are back. Fair We've game. got to mentally go back yeah. to right pre-pandemic times when you really had to pay attention to some of that stuff. We yeah. do. We do. And, and so it's challenging because we've all adopted to different methods of yeah. living. And so to go well, back. I think of employee yes, turnover, need... right? There's probably a lot of employees in those pharmacies that weren't there when oh, you had to pay attention to, to all of those absolutely. things. Absolutely. And it's so hard. Um, one of the, the challenging things I learned as well in, in LTC to take a sidestep is the training of a good technician yeah. is much more difficult in LTC. It's a much longer lead time to get someone because there's so many more nuances to prescription orders and understanding right. um, times of administration and things like that, yeah. where you never, yeah. you never deal with that on the retail side. So a good technician, it takes much longer to train them to get them to be efficient and, and develop them so um and it's hard that the environment right that the recruiting and hiring environment is just very different and and difficult yeah. um in that so so the the signature logs the last thing i'll say about that is um a handwritten date what a lot of people um unfortunately fall trap into is when you print a manifest of all the things that are in a tote going to a facility and may have a pre-printed date but PBMs know that may not be the date that it's delivered. You may be preparing that in advance. The right. cycle is getting prepared in advance days before it's actually delivered. And so a pre-printed date is not necessarily when it gets delivered. And what the PBM truly cares about is when did it arrive at the facility. So we will see problems where there's a pre-printed date. So the nurse or whomever yeah. at the front desk side for the drugs. But there's, a, there's not a handwritten date that goes along with that. So they will yeah. reject that. Um, signature log and say, we need something more cooperative um, to do that. Now, technology, if you have an iPad or something else that yep. the nurse is signing, it might be time stamped or date stamped, which is great. But um, it is a challenge with printed or physical hard copy manifest uh, if it has a preprinted date. Just that those it's nuanced things, things right? Yeah. yeah. can get a pharmacy to so much trouble, right? It's not like the patient, you didn't have a valid order that the patient didn't go write the med. You can't yeah. prove to us that they got it and a signature log. Well, I have a MAR over here that shows they the nurse right, administered right. it. Is, you know, um, and now it's very tricky. And, and that's something that um, traditionally on the, the LTC side, we see problems with uh, on um, signature logs. And the last thing that I would say is, is certainly unique and different for, for LTC is cycle fill. And, and how do we do cycle fill? How's the pharmacy handling that? How do they handle short cycle dispensing? And are they doing a unique packaging system? Mm -hmm. um, over the years uh, of um, long-term care, we went from the two facilities in Wisconsin to, when we grow to 10 in the, in the Midwest. Yeah. So we were acquiring, uh, we had one greenfield, but primarily we were um, acquiring other LTC pharmacies to a, to a point where we had 10. And we had all different dispensing methodologies depending yeah. on the market, right? So I had uh, bingo cards and strip packaging. I had paper opus and cassette opus and just all kinds of, of crazy stuff. But um, some pharmacies were doing like a 223 or a 1113 dispensing methodology, which is like you dispense two days, two days, three days, or a one day, one day, one day, 
one day and then a three day to get you through the weekend yeah. um, in a very high acuity center where meds are changing all the time. That can make a lot of sense because you're not having to make corrections. Nurses aren't having to adjust what's already given to them. Um, but obviously there's a lot of um, manual intervention yeah. and effort on the pharmacy behalf to do a one, 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 three versus even a, a seven day, like a seven day. Right. Um, and when you composite that, typically you're billing those retrospectively. So you're not getting paid on the front end, like a traditional pharmacy claim. You may be billing seven, seven or filling seven, 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 seven. But when that is done as a 28 day supply, you're then going back and billing for that aggregated day's supply. So you have that one-to-many problem in terms of matching up the deliveries to the claim. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so you have to be very organized. Your system has to function correctly in order to make that happen. And then uh, the PBM still will say, well, you delivered that four times. We want to see four signature logs. Right. <laughs> we want to see every single time you drop that off. Um, and so it's just a headache in terms of how to make sure you're doing it correctly, um, one other thing that gets pharmacies caught all the time is drugs that are dispensed in the original container. And I would say this is worse in long-term care than in other areas because um, Linzess, the drug Linzess, um, chronic idiopathic constipation and some other indications, uh, very common in, in LTC. And the challenge is it must be dispensed in the original container and it comes in a 30 count bottle. Okay. And Pharmacies, if they're dispensing in a 28-day or they're dispensing in strip packaging or something else, have a propensity to break that bottle and give them 28 days or put it in that strip packaging. And the manufacturer says you cannot do that. You cannot repackage. You cannot subdivide. And so PBMs know this as well. They're they're smart. They're cunning. And so they will see if you're billing in a 28-day, they will flag that for recoupment. Because they know that you didn't dispense that in the 30-count bottle. And so there are many drugs like that 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 can create a challenge. So is the right way in that scenario to dispense the 30-pill bottle and then, or the 30-dose bottle and then just waste the last two? Like, how do you deal uh, with the... Yeah, you'd bill, it, you'd bill it as a bulk and you wouldn't waste last two. You'd bill it as 30 for 30, uh, 30 in theory. For 30. And the challenge, what nursing homes don't like, and I'll tell you from experience, is that becomes a bulk item in the med cart. Yeah, well, and so then it's off cycle. So they're used to managing to the 28 days and then they have this random sort of extra two that go into the next. I, I can't tell you how many times the bottle gets lost. Yeah. The med doesn't get passed because they can't find it or they the, the adherence, I can promise you, goes down. When it's yeah. a bulk item versus when it's in a strip package or in a card because yeah. the, the meds get lost. They don't know where to look for it. They think it's another um, card and they can't find the card. So they never even bother. It just doesn't get the bulk yeah. area. Yeah. And so it's so frustrating for pharmacies and nursing homes alike. So the nursing homes really want that in a card. And to explain to them that there are certain products, and, and Lizesse is one of the most common in the LTC space, that, hey, we just can't do that. You have to train nurses that this is going to be a bulk item. And and sometimes that takes it off cycle to your point. Yeah. It has to be refill on demand. So that means the nurse has to potentially ask to to get the refill far enough in advance yeah. so that the delivery comes on time. All those components that come with it, um, PBMs will look to recoup if you're doing a workaround or appeasing a facility yeah. instead of following FDA guidelines. For, yeah. And that's where you're, you're really stuck between wanting to do the thing that your customer wants, right? That makes their job yes. easy and actually not being allowed to, or you won't get paid. 
right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So talk to me about transitions of care. Yeah. So um, at, at Health Direct, um, we started a, a transitions in care program. And I know a lot of pharmacies are thinking about or do some kind of transition in care. Yeah. It's a very big thing with Medicare A patients when you're you're working with a skilled, typically a skilled nursing facility that has a lot of rehab. A lot of skilled nursing facilities invested in rehab because that's where the money um, yeah. was is get rehab beds, get your bed A beds to um, drive profitability for a skilled nursing facility. So some of the the skilled nursing facilities I worked with had beautiful, glorious um uh, you know, rehab facilities yeah. for your knee and your hip replacements and, and things like that. So it's not long-term patients. These are rehab, med A, 14-day stays, and they're gone. They're back, yeah. they're out and on their own or in the community doing rehab at home from yeah. there or coming into the facility to do rehab at, on like a day visit type of a yeah. thing. So so um, the goal with that was trying to increase profitability for the pharmacy by capturing that next fill uh, as they go into back home or back into the community. It's really a service because when a patient leaves that skilled environment, and you think about it, and if it's mom or dad or, or someone else, if if the spouse is, is still living and, uh, you know, driving, that's one thing. But often it's um, a, another family member or a son or a daughter picking up their mom or dad. And then it's like, oh, we have to stop at the pharmacy to get all these meds because right. I need everything. And it's just another hassle. And then do they have everything they need? How long do I have to wait um, before transitioning to that home? And, and part of that is the discharge coordinator and how effective they are at working with. Um, do they have a, a local pharmacy that they work with and collaborate with? Or um, is it sent to where they've always gone or, or somewhere else where they might have to wait for hours on yeah. end? You've got mom or dad in the it's, car. It's like a meds to beds program, but for long-term care instead of the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's exactly that. Just like in the hospital situation where you're trying to insure and just ensuring that um, they're not going to potentially um, readmit. It's a right. big deal. Um, for for skilled facilities and for hospitals, you know, if they weren't in there for a knee or hip replacement, or even if they were, what you don't want to see is that patient um, have issues or struggles and then readmit to the hospital. The hospital doesn't want that. Doesn't look good on the skilled nursing facility. They don't want no. that. More so with like a congestive heart failure, exacerbation, or something like that. But regardless, um, nobody wants to readmit. And one of the things that you can do is this transitioning care. Make sure they have their meds available, yeah. right? And so. That at a minimum, and we would, um, so we would get orders, um, deliver the meds in advance of discharge, and then give them an iPad to have a consultation um, with a pharmacist. So we were consulting them and talking to them about their meds, making sure they understood from a pharmacist's perspective, hey, do you understand what, what meds you're on? Did you get new meds while you were throughout your hospital or, or skilled nursing stay? Um, different conversations based on disease state and situations. But of course, ensuring that they had the most challenging thing with uh, this transitions in care or a meds to beds program is ensuring like last minute orders. So antibiotics, if they're converting right. from an IV to a PO or a IV to an oral med, if they're on warfarin and there's some tinkering with dosing or they're waiting for that yeah. last INR to make a dose change, um, or if they have some controlled substance pain medications right. that they're going to go home with, having a physical hard copy. Because when you're doing a transitions and care program, those orders should look like community pharmacy orders. orders. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to look like your traditional orders and, and you're going to build them differently and indicate them differently. 
Uh, but it's a great service. Facilities love it, right? Yeah. So so when you're working with facilities, they realize that this is a better care for the patient. They're focused on readmit rates as well. Right. And also that service, hey, you don't have to wait. You know, we're going to send these to, to the local pharmacy. We're going to just have them ready. And then obviously with a subsequent fill, they transition back to um, the community, to community pharmacy or wherever they might have. So it's just a one, it's a one-time fill. It's not an ongoing um, traditionally relationship, although with... Um, uh, you know, LTC kind of looking at potentially at yeah, home Yeah, I was going to say, so our last podcast, right, we, we talked about long-term yeah. care to the home, yes, and that's where lazy. my head's going, yes. is it's like these transitions of in the facility, that sort of meds to beds transition of care, and then that long-term care to the home, if it's appropriate, versus, you know, a go back to a true community pharmacy. So it, 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 it's interesting, the It is, the yeah, and Lindsay, I watched that podcast, yeah. Lindsay's great, and um, I... It, Years ago, that was not the case, right? right. This is this is a right. new and evolving area, long term care at home network, yeah. and those kinds of things to to develop and and so go back ten years and that wasn't a thing, right? right. We did one fill and we're done, right. and we, we right. let them go back. Off to the you community go, good luck, right? I, I totally agree. It's a great opportunity, right, for somebody who's looking at ways to increase revenue and drive script volume. What a yeah. great opportunity to say, hey, we're going to take care of this pa- patient and. Oh, by the way, they qualify for for, med, for meds at home yeah. through our pharmacy, so we can provide these additional services that they may or may not be getting um, in the community. So something to, to consider or think about, absolutely, is, is how we did it. One of the tricky things about transitions in care is always the billing Medicare A when they're in the facility versus D, Part when D, yeah. uh, when they're out of the facility, because you cannot bill for those meds before their discharge, the day of discharge. Because the day a patient is discharged, that facility isn't getting paid. The facility traditionally wants them, the sooner they're out, right. not the better, but right. they're not getting paid anymore. Um, so there's no sense in having them there unless they need to be there. So the challenge is if you bill days in advance for a Part D um, drug, that will eventually get audited. Medicare is smart enough to know we've paid like, why are we paying the same thing on the Med same Ed. day? Yeah, yeah. We're paying, we're paying twice. And so they're going to recoup that. Even if it's just the day before, that whole claim, they don't look at one day. They say the whole claim, you shouldn't have billed that on that day. We're going to recoup that full amount. And so it's a huge contention to, one, you have to know, are these drugs even covered by the patient's formulary? I'm going to run into an issue to make it a smooth transition yeah. home. All of a sudden, I get a non-formulary drug. So... Um, ensuring that uh, the A versus D and making sure that the patient is truly discharged or going home the day you bill those meds is an important component of a transitions in care yeah. program. So it's interesting. So it, it, it's a quest, like there's a, logically it makes sense from a patient care perspective and yet from an actual delivery perspective, there's a whole lot of things that are very different from your standard you know, long-term care delivery, right? When and how you're billing, um, making sure you're timing that correctly, checking new formularies. Um, but you're in a unique position of sort of knowing the history of that patient and and what they've been on. Um, yep, exactly. Exactly. And it, it's a great way, I think, for a pharmacy that's interested in doing that to capture existing business, depending yeah. on your market and your community and, and where these patients reside. So. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. So what are some things or is there anything that you would say, hey, we if we're talking long-term care, we've got to talk about X? 
Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about some potential like FWA areas or concerns that yeah. I always have when I think about long-term care pharmacy and um, areas where um, there are problems or I see yeah. LTC pharmacies getting into problems. And one of the biggest things is in the credits area. And by credits, I mean uh, one of the unique things about a long-term care pharmacy that's very different than a retail or community pharmacy is the ability to take back meds and potentially reuse them. Now that's state driven, but most states will allow for reclamation where you can reuse meds that were always under the control of a nurse um, that are blister packed or unit dose, not commingled. So they're just um, single unit dose product. Um, And the potential for reclamation, it's a big deal on the med A side because the facility is paying for those drugs and if they don't need them any longer, if you dispense 30 days, but the patient's only there for 14, can you give the facility credit right. for the 16 days that they for didn't need? For facilities that, to be clear, operate on pretty razor thin margins, right? These aren't Thanks. organizations that are that are no, operating I, with really wide margins and have lots of money to waste. No, they don't have they don't have any money to waste for sure. The the nursing homes, especially skilled environments, and we worked in Wisconsin with some small independent operators. Yeah. They have one or two facilities, and it's just a small mom and pop type skilled right. facility um, that does not have the resources. They were always micromanaging um, their drug costs because right. it's a huge part of that component. They had to evaluate, and all the facilities were evaluating. Can I afford to take this patient before they would admit them from the hospital? What meds are they on? And can I remain profitable given what medications they're taking? It is truly um, very important for those facilities. So anytime they can get credit for a drug, uh, it means the world to them. And of course, there are some things that aren't worth credit due to labor and time. If the drug is only worth 15 cents. It doesn't make sense to say, well, I can give you 10 cents back on this, but right, I'm going right, yeah. to spend No like one needs five. the aspirin back. Like, you can keep that. <laughs> exactly. But there are certain drugs, brand name drugs, yeah. um, and things that you can give credit back. And so um, where it makes sense in financial, and, and um, you can give credit back to the facilities. And what may happen is it's tempting to, on the Part D side, you don't see that so much. Yeah. You don't have to reverse a claim through um, on a Part D per se. Uh, but Medicare A matters to your facility. So on a Part D, if a patient passes away and there's two days left, typically that just gets destroyed. Yep. And you, uh, most LTC pharmacies have a, a potentially a process or a hazardous drug um, destroyer yep. method to get rid of that product. Um, but sometimes it's tempting if a, if a product comes back to not reverse or not put that back into credit. And so sometimes it's like, oh, this drug is here. Or even good-meaning employees yeah. can move product and not think about it and not understand, well, why are you wasting this? This is a good product. You know, somebody could use this or right. I need this myself. I'm on this drug and here it is for free in the right. trash bin. Can I just take this? And so um, well-meaning employees um, can can do, unfortunately, yeah. um, some bad things. So I, I always think about credits um, because they're a great opportunity in the LTC space. It's a lot of value. Um but it's an important area to make sure it's managed correctly and appropriately. Um, I also think about um, anti-kickback statutes. And some of the bigger players have gotten into trouble over the years. There's a lot of press releases from the Department of Justice about um, anti-kickback statutes when it comes to long-term care pharmacies because there are other services at play. 
And part of that is, for example, consulting services. Yeah. You have to bid out, and many years ago, there's a, a famous case on it, but you you have to pay the a fair market rate for consulting pharmacist services. You can't include that in the services that a pharmacy is providing to um, the nursing home, right? They have to make sure that it's a fair market rate for what the pharmacist is doing and how long it takes them to go through chart orders and things like that. So um, there's that component. There's also Med-A pricing. Med-A pricing can be very competitive. You want to earn business from a skilled facility, but um, some players have found out the hard way that you can't provide below cost Med-A pricing. It's anti-competitive. It's not fair yeah. to other competitors um, that are smaller or, or other entities that exist out there to say, well, we'll provide that below cost because we know we get the rest of the facility. And that that's right. the kickback is I'll, I'll give you, we'll lose some money here to get more to get money over here, here on the part yeah. D side. So those are, when I think about kind of some scenarios where pharmacies kind of maybe challenge or push the limits a little bit, I always express caution when you think about mm-hmm. um, fair reimbursement for services on consulting or the Med-A side and making sure if you're in a state that allows for reclamation, that you have good controls, that you watch over your employees doing it, and that you fully understand and appreciate um, the process that that goes into yeah. it. Yeah. So one last question on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose something that I feel like is fact and also controversial and kind of want to get your thoughts on it. So when I look right. at our pharmacy customers, um, one of the things I think about a lot are the PBMs are their biggest customers when they think of sort of where revenue comes from, for them as a pharmacy, right, those really big PBMs are going to be the biggest line items on their revenue um, list. And yet the relationship is also very fraught, is maybe a kind way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so as somebody who who sort of sits in the middle of sort of making sure that they get uh, you know, treated in the best possible way financially, by those customers, how do you how do you see that relationship, or how do you react to that framing? No, I I agree. I mean, you know, the PBMs certainly are. Um, I don't want to say they're a necessary evil. I'd love to <laughs> to be able to cut them out. They're, they're in the middle, and I don't think there's any feasible way to um, get them out of, of the the process. They do serve some purposes, some legitimate mm-hmm. purposes, and. Um, pharmacies years ago that had to do manual claims. I mean, they're, right. they're happy right. they don't have to do manual claims. There were downsides and, and detriment. I, I think from from my standpoint, one of the, the challenging things that I see with PBMs is the, the egregious or, or predatory audits. These aren't about identifying fraud or a bad actor, somebody yeah. who's billing for claims that are never dispensed, for drugs that are never purchased. Those things exist and they do get yeah. out there and that, that's a necessary um, purpose of audits. But there's a very fine line between somebody who's billing for claims that are never dispensed and somebody who has a handwritten date on their signature log yeah, versus yeah. a pre-printed date. Come on, the patient got the med. And why are you why are you looking to recoup? You know, it's yeah. those elements where they use audits as a profit driver really create that wedge, right? And, okay. and yeah. uh, where margins are thin, um, LTC has a little bit of an advantage over their community counterparts with DIR fees and, and uh, enhanced dispensing fees for the additional services. They also right. have costs that aren't necessary um, on the community side, uh, depending on the type of packaging, how far they're delivering, all, all those components right. that uh, warrant a higher dispensing fee um, from them. So it, it is a double-edged sword. Um, uh, certainly the revenue comes from them. I think... Um, 
the goal of, of collaborating and showing value. And I think especially for like Lindsay's, um, Lindsay's discussion about um, patients at home, home. Yeah. and trying to show the value that pharmacists can truly provide in the care setting and say, we deserve to be fairly reimbursed for that because we are relying on it's, them. And um, it's that second piece that's really important. I read a lot nowadays where it's like, yeah. um, pharmacists are being asked to do so much more and yet actually what they're getting paid has <laughs> a change. So it's this balance of wanting to work to the top of the license and be able to provide those services. But also there's not, you know, it's like fair compensations got to be a part of that conversation as well. It, it absolutely is. Pharmacy cannot continue to give everything away for free. We're infamous for, for that, right? right? Providing anytime you can walk into a pharmacy and ask a pharmacist questions about things that, that you don't, yeah. you know, they're, you don't even have to give your name. Just what, what's your question? Show me your rash. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And we're not fairly compensated. And certainly when we look to expand our services, like in LTC at home or other things, we need to ensure that the compensation comes along with that because they are enhanced services. So pharmacies certainly deserve to get paid for it. Fantastic. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation. I could probably ask you 20 more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, my pleasure, Francis. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for having me. It's great. Absolutely. Thanks for being on and enjoy that beautiful fall weather in Wisconsin that we get none of down here in Texas. <laughs> we'll just cook we'll until all of a sudden it, it turns cold one day. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on our Amplify Long-Term Care podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us today, everybody. This is our relaunched pharmacy podcast for long-term care. It's Amplify LTC podcast, and you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and continue to listen for great conversations around long-term care and how to elevate your pharmacy.